When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, man. Good evening and welcome to episode nine of Sugar and Silk, starring myself, Ben Doughty. And, and myself, Michael Silk Olajide Jr. What's going on, Ben? I'm good, Silk. Um, I'll do, we'll explain to the viewers. We were initially intending to have uh, Chris Bird join us for this particular show this week. And then Chris got waylaid. He's going to come on next week. Uh, we had a replacement in uh, Jamil McLean, four-time World Network title challenger. We're still hoping to have Jamil on the show uh, big time to use his alias. But uh, he's not with us right now. So Simon, the producer, is in the background waiting for Jamil to get in touch. And if he comes on, we'll get him with you. We'll get him with us. Um, so it's all good. That's a good um, time. You know, Jamil is a very interesting character, or a very interesting fighter to me. Um, he came up at a time when the heavyweights had kind of like a lull and you can make some noise, but then they still had the big boys, you know, Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson, um, and, you know, Evander Holyfield. They had a lot of great fighters there still. Um, I was really, I'm really interested in speaking with him because I, 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 from what I understand, he didn't have the biggest amateur background. If he had, he didn't have any. He didn't all. have any yes. fights apparently, from what I can gather. And 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 that's you know for him to be able to get to where he got to, uh, you know that's just it's insane. It really is. And he and he really done well for himself. I mean, he fought. Klitschko and he fought Chris Bird and he fought a number of other guys. He ran a streak there for for a minute for like his first five fights. He was two, two and one. That's yeah. with no amateur background, two, two and one. Then he ran the table for like 28 fights. That's insane. Like it yeah. really And he beat a lot of good fighters. Like my man Charles Shuford out in out in Vegas, who is an excellent fighter, actually. And he played George Foreman in the Ali movie with Will Smith. He beat him. He beat uh oh man, there's a number of guys he he fought. Um that he uh out ice coal, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. a couple and Shannon of Briggs. And Shannon Briggs too. Shannon Briggs as well, yeah. The cannon. And it's like 
I, I would really be interesting to see what kind of mindset he was in to be able to do that and you know make a run like that. It's impressive. And I wonder what he might have made of last night's action, uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London. Mm-hmm. Michael, you will be aware that the um, the people who live and breathe boxing and wear their kind of Marvin Hagler t-shirts, like a second skin, etc., the so-called hardcore, were um, vocally against the fight, pretty negative about it as a foregone conclusion. And, you know, simply an arrangement between fighters who are well disposed towards one another. Fury mm. wanted to run it, run it against an unthreatening opponent, essentially. And Chisora getting a massive pension plan type payday. It unfolded the way people expected. It was it was really essentially a copy of the one-sided beatdown in their rematch eight years ago, um, mm-hmm. Wembley. It played out precisely the way you imagined it would, with Chisora not looking like he was going to win 20 seconds of any particular round. Yeah. Which um, I know I see that you wrote it, had a write-up on it today um, on Facebook. Uh, just expand for me for the benefit of viewers. You know, I... I um... I watched the fight. I, I didn't have to pay for it. Like it wasn't like pay per view, but I, I do have the channel. Um, I I just thought that it was exactly that. Like Fury was going to do Chisora a favor and give him some Christmas money, kind of thing. I mean, I, I hate to be that brunt about it, but um, I don't think that Tyson obviously got into shape for it, and he did look good. He felt he looked really comfortable in the ring, but yeah. I guess. When you don't feel threatened, you're able to feel that comfortable. Absolutely. And, and you know, he was going through the gears. I don't necessarily agree with, with the suggestions that Fury carried him. I think he was punching pretty spitefully and in volume from the start. I mean, to be honest with you, I thought that maybe Chisora was going to be out of there within the first three rounds because it looked that way, the way Fury yeah. started. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't feel it was carrying him. I just think Chisora is tough as old boots. Sure. And, he also has that kind of defence that, you know, when he gets tagged with a few shots, but he's got a great chin and he's got a big heart. Yeah. And then he does a couple of rolls. He does something to stop himself getting nailed yeah. with, the, with the follow-up shots, which would take uh, him out in any given round. He's a good survivor, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's obviously very strong. And as you said, he was durable. Um, I, I just think that if it's only because of Tyson's lack of being able to put his punches together in that instance anyway, um, that he wasn't able to stop, you, you know, he wasn't able to stop Chisora earlier. I mean, uh, when they stopped it, I didn't think it should have been stopped. <laughs> but I but I think he was always just like putting them one, two, three punch combination together from getting that thing stopped. Even as early as like, I think it was the third round or fourth yeah. round. Um, he, he got in there pretty good on him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, it's interesting when you say that it, Perhaps it shouldn't have been stopped when it was. It was a rather strange moment to stop it. And I think that was the referee. He would had the conviction to stop it a round or two ago. And he really almost was kicking himself for not having done so. And yeah. it's a bit like a delayed reaction. Like, you know what? No, sod this. I'm going to stop this. I should yeah. have stopped it then. Because I, yeah. I know Chisora's trainer, John Charles, pretty well. I've known him for yes. years. And um, and he's a great guy. And he's a, uh, you know, a complete, you know, died-in-the-wall boxing man. Mm-hmm. And I think his desire not to pull his man out when people think he should. I mean, he was copying a lot of flack today. Not so yeah. much Don by name, because a lot of people don't even know necessarily because he stays at the spotlight. It was more like Chisora's corner were awful. They were a brave corner. They were just getting slagged off as an as an entity in their entirety, the Chisora team, more than Don getting any personal flack. But um, 
I know that his his reluctance to pull Chisora out, maybe after the seventh or eighth round, let's say, was probably based on the fact that he didn't want people to think they'd just come for the money and and that was that, and then they were going to get out of there. I think he, it was his professionalism and commitment to actually winning against all the odds because he told me, we did a little interview, um, I think it was probably the Thursday before, uh, this week, and he said, you know, uh, I'll look at the camera. I am 120% confident we are going to pull this off. You know, and people call it an upset. He said, but we won't be upset. Um, <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? It's it's all very well to talk a brave corner, isn't it? But but you've yeah. said yourself, you don't think it should have been stopped necessarily at the point it was. And yeah. sometimes you can sympathise with a corner man, can't you? Just because he's not in there taking the punches. Why yeah. he may not want to pull the guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's one of those things that is six of this half a dozen of the other. It's like you could pull a plug early and then there's always the what ifs. And, and as a fighter, you learn, you live with that. And, and that's something that really eats away at you as a fighter. When when a fight is stopped prematurely and you know that you still have fire left, that really hurts. But then... I mean, there's very few instances when they say, you know, they went too far and, and, you know, they always use that as like, well, if I didn't, you could have died and you could have, and you go as far as a fighter, you know, going into the fight that this could very well be it. You don't know, but you don't really consider it either. Now, if you're playing it safe, um, then it's not really a fight. And you know what I mean? I mean, Chisora afterwards said, you know, thanks to the referee, you know, as a fighter, you never want to stop. But he appeared to kind of thank the referee for getting him out of there, even though he, I mean, Chisora has got, you know, he's got balls the size of the Soviet army. He was never going to quit. But he did appear to express a bit of appreciation and relief that the referee had intervened. You know what? I always think, um, I always think of Victor Ortiz um, when he, I think, bailed out against Marcus Madonna. It was. and he said something like, I'm a young fighter. I've got a lot of good nights ahead of me. Yeah. And there's no sense in me getting hurt. You know, it's better to live to fight another day. And I remember thinking how much I didn't want to hear that from a fighter. And I think as, as boxing people, we never want to hear that. We want the irrational, we want the irrational of a Joe Fraser yeah. who's like, doesn't care if he's blind in both eyes. He's exactly. just saying, point me at him and I'll go get him. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think yeah. that's what we want our champions to be like, like Arturo Gatti or Joe Fraser or even Muhammad Ali, you know, who yeah. doesn't know the meaning of the word quit. Um, yeah. I remember well, this one will resonate with you. Uh, Prince Rodney, a light middleweight from back in the day, when he lost his British title to Chris Pyatt, who ended up getting a world title, becoming a world champion, you know, and, and, and boxing at that highest level. When he lost to Chris Pyatt in ninth round stoppage, it was because he had some kind of eye injury. And what he said, he was quoted in Boxing News the following week as saying, my eyesight is more important to me than any title. And as a 15 or 16-year-old, I was disappointed to read that. I, yeah. as, much as, it, as much as you can't quarrel with that logic, of course you can't, yeah. I didn't like the way it sounded. Do you know what I mean? Well, I know exactly what you mean, Ben, because that kind of consciousness, when you're that conscious and aware of it during a fight, then you're not really a fighter, basically. Because when that fight when that fight happens, it's like you really are laying everything on the line. You're going in there and no matter what, this man has to kill you in order to beat you. That's the mindset you're going into it with. And those are the guys that are real. I remember, I think it was Hector Camacho Jr. versus uh, Jesse James Leha. And um, I think he was, was he cut and it wasn't going into his eye, but he claimed the blood was going into his eye and he couldn't continue couldn't on. Yeah. yeah, he could. He said, yeah, he said he couldn't see. And I was like, uh, I don't get that. I don't understand how 
you know, fighters do that. I know myself, I've been in that situation. I had the pull, the plug pulled early on me as far as I was concerned with Aaron Barkley. And it, but it bothers me to this very day. And I was, yeah. I was like 25 years ago. And Is you just never live it. Going. Maybe we could do it on one of the bad boy promotion shows, you versus Iran. Just unfinished business, we'll call it. Why not? You look, you look well, I, I, think I, can, I think I could get them now, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you, probably, you know what? You probably could. Um, but now I could get them. Be, you're, you're, you're probably too intelligent to glean much satisfaction from that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it wouldn't be the same, that's for sure. And it certainly wouldn't be in the record books. So, in any yeah. case, yeah, indeed. In, in any case, um, I found post-fight histrionics from Fury, you know, shouting at Alexander Usyk rather unbecoming and charmless. Um, Usyk did what you, we knew he would do and just stood yeah. there, you know, yeah. unaffected. I think he answered his phone at one point, but uh, yeah. it's all a bit much for me uh, with that act from Fury. And the thing is, Silk, you know what? I'm not anti-Tyson Fury. I, I am not against him in any way. I've always quite liked him. Yeah. Uh, his, you know, his charisma, his... Um, yeah. He will define this heavyweight era. The, the, the chances are that he will be the, the, the fighter that defines it. And I don't have a problem with that. And I do think he would have taken some beating, regardless of the eras. You know, you want to play that game of the dream fights and, and, and the head-to-head hypothetical matchups. I think he would take some beating for, for, for a lot of, you know, for a lot of good reasons. Yeah. But it's getting a little bit much for me, some of those these kind of uh, these outbursts, you know, when it, I, I much prefer Usyk's kind of mute dignity last yeah. night. Joe Joyce come across kind of cool, you know, because he was he got it and realized it was a bit of a pantomime. And he said, oh, you know, well, are you going to say I'm just a I can't remember what he called Usyk, but he said, are you going to say that to me too, Tyson? But Joe Joyce seemed to be. Enjoying it, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well I, but, uh, I think maybe um, Usyk doesn't have as much command with the English language, but I think he's also the kind of kid that really speaks with his hands. And he did just sort of look at him maniacally. You know, he had that yeah. he had that uh, exaggerating glare. So maybe that was his form of a comeback. And uh, you know, when he when he gets down to it, when he gets into the ring, he knows he can't go like uh, you know word for word against someone like Tyson Fury, but he certainly yeah. can punch for a punch. And I think that's a really, I think that's, I think it's an interesting fight. I would definitely pay to see that one. For sure. I think, I think it's a fight most of us with any modicum of taste and integrity would, would like to see next time out for, for both men. How does it go? Do you, do you think, I mean, I, the way I see it, I think Usyk has a shot, but I, I would ultimately, I would yeah. plunge Fury. I don't know about yeah. you. I think that um, Usyk is going to counter him in, in, in a number of different ways he can counter them. And, and, but he would also initiate, initiate and counter. And that's something that Fury, I, I don't know if he's ever fought anybody that could do that to him before. I mean, I know Klitschko's, they kind of like to, uh, they like to counter punch as well. He used to be, a, he'd wait a lot. He'd wait and he'd joust and he'd joust with one hand. But I think that with um, Usyk, he tends to move into range more. He tends to be in range, so you feel like you can hit him, and then he moves out of the way and comes with, you know, complex combinations. I, I think that, um, you know, it's not such a reach. People act like he has to jump up to punch him in the chin, and he doesn't. No, I, I think it is. Um, if it's not a 50-50, I'd say it's a – I mean, ultimately, these kind of percentage – metaphors are you know perhaps yeah. worthless but i would say it's like a a 65 35 uh, for yeah. me uh, yeah. in terms of fury That's, oh so you think fury is a 65 
Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, I think the better, more all-round accomplished boxer is, is Usyk. You know, but yeah, the size factor matters when you've got someone who is kind of as fluid as Fury is and yeah. does as many things well as Fury does. Fury takes a great shot. We know he's got a fighting heart. He's got good movement. Um, he can punch. Obviously, I mean, you get the old you know, lazy thinking that anybody that weighs 270 pounds can punch. But but Fury can punch when he sits down on his shot regardless. And he's got that massive size behind it. Yeah. He's a pretty good combination puncher. You know, he's a good boxer. He's got pretty good defense. Um, he's not, yeah, well, he's he's not good at purely. purely. Good as Usyk, but he's he's that much bigger than him while being very useful himself. You know, he's uh, Fury's a very difficult guy to fight because his timing is all wrong. Nothing about him is conventional, and so no. that's one of the hardest things. To Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach; you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Fight. When you're fighting something you can't prepare for, like who do you get to spar with? To You can have someone as tall and gangly, but they're not going to execute the same. Um... Tyson's timing is like he'll throw a punch, and because his wrists are kind of like loose at times, you don't know when it's going to hit you. Yeah, like generally as a fighter, you see when a guy starts turning his body or moving his body, then you know the punch is coming behind it. That way, you can get ahead of the punch. Now, you, you know if your head's always moving, then you just speed up at the last second and get, you know, you you make an individual miss the punch. But when a person throws his body and a punch comes afterwards things like that, or he starts punching with his arm and then he starts putting his body behind it, as Fury's known to do, that makes it very hard to catch in terms of timing. And then just because of the weight, the kind of weight he carries, that's what makes it powerful. If he um, if he had this kind of style as like a lightweight, junior welterweight, junior yeah. middleweight, he wouldn't be hurting anybody. Not nobody at all, but just because he's 200 and I don't know what's it 70, 268. Yeah, 268 he weighed, so. yeah, yeah. So 268 pounds because he's 268 pounds, it's gonna hurt, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it'll hurt any man because it's just gonna rock your brain off its rocker, you know. Um, at the other end of the scale, the, the diametric opposite, we um, we had such a contrasting trilogy fight last night in Glendale, Arizona, when um. When Francisco Estrada squeaked past Roman Gonzalez mm -hmm. um, to, to to go to one in their particular classic series, um, I don't know if you had a chance to watch it. I watched it this morning. It was it was a great fight as we knew it would be, um, mm -hmm. as good as the other two. Yeah. So much so much to admire. I, I think the right man won, although you know there was a storming finish from um, from. Gonzalez, I don't think it was quite enough to get to, to pull it out of the fire. That said, I didn't actually score it round by round. I know Dennis Rappaport had them even going into the last round, I think, and I think he gave that to um, um, Gonzalez in memory serves. But you know what I mean? But it was that kind of fight. And there was the dignity also of Roman Gonzalez when they asked him through an interpreter whether he feel that he was unlucky not to get a decision. Didn't ask him if he was robbed, but they asked him did he feel like he'd been shortchanged. And he said, listen, you know, I'm glad it was a good fight for the public, and this was the result. You know, and that was all he said. You know, no sour grapes or anything like that. Uh -huh. did, did you see it yourself? I did not see that fight, Sugar. 
I did not see that fight. But I believe it was on um, ESPN over here. But for some reason, I wasn't done. Oh, the zone. Oh, okay, yeah. So for some reason, I, I don't know. I just didn't see it. I tuned in, and they were starting that long walk to the ring that they played. Like each fighter got three songs on the way to the ring. We never had that in our days. You better be in before the first chorus. <laughs> you know when you see these massive epic ring walks these days, like Fury's yeah. entrance on that swing to Patsy Klein's crazy back in uh-huh. our yeah. Wilder fight, and you got George Groves in the rematch of Carl Froch, uh, the infamous 80,000 people at Wembley occasion. When he came in, there were London buses and all sorts going through, or, or some facsimile of it, and fireworks. Really? Yeah. I always think, imagine Muhammad Ali with his terrycloth white robe, because Ali, all of the flash and braggadocio and histrionics, it was all internal. It was all from within. There was nothing flashy about Ali's carriage in other ways, in terms of his clothes, uh-huh. You know, like a hectic match or something like that, or in terms yeah. of his ring entrances, or in terms of his trunks. Ali was very kind of simple and basic with the terry cloth robe and the white everlast shorts with the black trim. All of the uh, histrionics, which which he's supposed to have started, they, they were all organic, weren't they? Do you know what I mean? I always think, imagine yeah. Ali walking in like Chazor did with that big, like you said it reminded you of Christmas or something. They're like, yeah, 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 exactly. And yeah. I can't picture it, can you? You know, um, Alan K. Bronson's just said, um, uh, pretty obnoxious. Camacho and Ahmed ent- entrances were pretty obnoxious. And I know Camacho used to come in, he got wild. Yeah, he had this like Ellen saying as well. Ellen, Ellen, Ellen has, has come on, and we initially got some sartorial comments. Christy said she likes my top, it's because it's Bad Boys, it's her brand. Ellen uh-huh. came that I actually really like Michael's top, and then she started talking about, you know, um. I've seen some pretty obnoxious, you know, ring walks like Camacho and Hamid entrances. Yes, exactly. And and um, those those things were always interesting, entertaining to me. I mean, I guess it, it kind of gives you, you know, a sense of the fighter. Camacho, I remember him coming in. I, I don't know if it was to Rosario, but he had like two or three different robes on. So he was doing some Savardian spinoramas and one robe came off and he had this other sort of like really like out there, wild, glitzy outfit on. And it was, the whole thing was kind of cool. So I like that. If it says something, if it says, it legitimately says something about your character or personality, I love it. When it's yeah. just something that, you know, I mean, these guys were just walking into the ring with a song and I it, just didn't yeah. get the entertainment aspect of that. It was weird what you said that somebody was saying that Chisora walked into complete silence and then, and somebody from the UK and you yeah. said, well, Bob Marley song over here. And yeah. I heard that too because I, I was streaming the ESPN version on my phone. Oh, okay. So I heard Bob Marley the reggae entrance too. What yeah. was the story, one wonders, um, with the UK broadcast where he seemed to come out to silence? Because I, I can't vouch for that because I didn't, I yeah. didn't see the papers, I, I, I was thinking maybe like maybe they didn't pay their licensing bill or something. <laughs> you, um, you know, you have to pay the you have to pay the estate in order to use that stuff. You know, yeah. I had a my fight with Tommy Hearns, I had I did a mix of on the way to on the way to the ring, I did a I did this great mix. I had it made of Prince and the Eurythmics, Sweet Dreams, and I think it was his Batman entrance, kind of like the Batman song, the start of the Batman song, yeah. and it was mixed with um, it was mixed with Sweet Dreams, Sweet Dreams by the Eurythmics, and I'm I'm dressed up and I'm ready, just about to get out there and I'm going and I'm just about to go out and um, 
the head of Showtime, the the who, the live producer, he said, "Well, listen, we can't give you that fight song. You can't go out there because Prince is not agreeing to it." And I was so disappointed. I was like, "What?" And so we went at it back and forth for a while, and I got played anyway. I'm going into it, otherwise, I'm not going in at all. But yeah, yeah they just couldn't play it because obviously, I guess they get a lawsuit or something. It's fine. I just, I just had to go out to Sweet Dreams. So that was it. <laughs> Uh, well, Eurythmics. Yeah. By the Eurythmics, yeah. yeah. But I had this really cool mix. It was dope. You know what, Michael? It's true. It's Some of them do want to abuse you and use you. Yeah. <laughs> the lyrics to that song, Boxing. Come on, keep up, Silk. You've got to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, you know, then I remember, I remember getting into the ring and then Hearns comes in and he came into and it was hot. It just came out. I'd never heard it before, I don't think. Maybe it was just recently out. Um, Can't touch this by uh, yeah, MC everything. Hammer. Yeah, and and they came in all noisy and rass and and all. And I was like, what? But was you see little... how it goes. You see, yeah. they loaded loaded every step of the way. The torture fed towards glory. But um, our producer Simon just just um, get, flashed a message to me. Um, well, he said it was the UK and pay per view licensing issue in the UK. So sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry, it was the um. What's the word? It was copyright and pay-per-view yeah. licensing issues, you know. So you were right; your instincts were correct. That's why Chisora came out to silence in the UK, but not in America, it would seem. That does appear to be. Um, oh, by the way, uh, Ace Podcast Nation, which must be Simon, says the Eurythmics are classic. Yes, um, <laughs> but it, like I say, what, what, um, the way I look at last night. The, the action in boxing globally, you, you had the, the massive fight, obviously, in the stadium featuring the two heavyweights, which is the one that the world is going to be talking about the next day. Even even in America, they're, they're going to be talking about that more. Mm-hmm. Then you had the, the, the super flyweights mm-hmm. in Glendale, Arizona, who mm-hmm. really epitomised what is beautiful about boxing um, mm-hmm. and, and have done throughout their you know, careers, mm-hmm. particularly Gonzalez. And, uh, but you know what? It was still one ultimately... It's never going to get people talking, and these guys are never going to be huge stars, are they? I mean, they, they can be yeah. big stars to an extent, and they can get nice paydays compared to... They can mm. enjoy a level of fame and kind mm. of remuneration that most mere yeah. mortals still couldn't dream of, but yeah. it's nothing on the Richter scale, is it, compared to the interest created by the big man and the whole idea yeah. of um, Fury uh, fighting Usyk or, or uh, Joe Joyce next time out. One that commercial be- that commercial standing is never, ever... Get, there's never going to be any parity to that, is there? Well, the, one of the most important things is having the personality and creating this, creating the story that people can follow because they'll invest in it, whether you're um, an atom weight or a heavyweight. If you have the story, if you have the looks, if you have like that human interest, you have that charisma, that's what's going to do it. Uh, no, no matter what, like, okay, so if you're a heavyweight champ, no matter what, you're going to get the light shined on you. But in any other way that people can relate to you. If you're a relatable personality, you certainly can make boatloads of money and do very well for yourself successfully. I mean, I know there are amateur fighters that could actually do that. There are amateur fighters that could take their likeness and their imagery. And now with what social media is, is, allows us to do, you can shop yourself and people will invest in it. It's a story. So it's about having a story. And if you have, an, if you have a story and you have charisma, you don't even have to be world champion. You can set yourself up real nice. Well, for for sure. I mean, that's that's often been the case. Even in the 1960s, a guy like Billy Walker, who never won a pro title, mm-hmm. 
was a big box office draw in this country and, and he was as famous as some of today's footballers, premiership footballers, because yeah. he had the looks and the charisma and the likability factor and he could punch and that never does any harm, right? Commercially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but it does seem to be a phenomenon when you are beneath, let's say, the featherweight division, uh, so you're below 126 pounds or even below 130 pounds a lot of the time, it seems yeah. hard to make a megastar for those divisions, does it not? No, it does, but but again, I think like boxing lacks that marketability. You know what I mean? Like the the mark the ability to market fighters. Um, promoters don't know how to do it in general. It's like you have to come to them with an image, and then they'll take it on, or they won't. Yeah. Just, no one will take an image that's you know what I mean. Uh, they'll look at them. They'll create a story for them. They'll create. Uh, their background, their personality, what you want to see, they'll take it, put it all together. This is what promoters are supposed to do. But they want to take something that's prepackaged, done already. They'll look at it and say, I like it, I don't like it. If they like it, they'll take it on and they'll just continue to do, you know, they they don't really promote anymore. It's just they, they just have a license and they're able to, you know, put fights on. Communication with the Athletic Commission and, and they're good. And and so it's not the hard work that it may have been at one time. Who who were the greatest promoters in, in the history of boxing, in your opinion, who really did take yeah. on that role mm-hmm. right right the way through? I, you know, I don't know of anybody that really did it to its to the highest echelon. You know what I mean? To the yeah, to that to that level. But I know that Don King was was. I mean, if if there's one thing he could do, you'll end up making money with Don. Whether you keep it or not, it's either up to you or up to him. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but he he could definitely he definitely made sure you got a dollar. That's for sure. You as a as a fighter of his, you would get paid. But again, there are a lot of loopholes, and you know what I mean. The the uh, training camp expenses and all sorts of other things that you never anticipated beforehand. A lot of fighters, you know, they they would ask for money up front and they thought it was something else. They didn't think it was really a loan and it ends up being a loan, really a loan. <laughs> and, uh, Did you hear about that Frank Warren, Mike Tyson notorious story when they fell out, when Tyson came over here to, to box Julius Francis in, um, in January 2000? Mm-hmm. Uh, in Manchester um, Frank Warren promoted the show and Tyson expected him to pay Tyson went shopping and, and there was something like a 300k jewellery bill it might have been watches or you know other other <laughs> luxury jewellery items mm-hmm. and he seemed to think that Warren was supposed to pay for this and Warren was like you know am I fuck basically and they <laughs> fell out quite severely to the point where Tyson physically assaulted Frank Warren who obviously is just a conventionally sized fella and yeah. certainly of any kind, and Warren admits that Warren admits Tyson, Tyson gave him a slap, like yeah, you know, hit him with a with a good shot. I've was heard, it a slap or was it a punch? I, I think it was a punch. I, I actually do think it was a punch. Um, and in the it, chest or like face? Or? I think I'm going to find this for you later, and I'll send you the details. Warren has opened up about it. It was there were rumors for ages. I even heard a very disquieting rumor that you almost can't unthink once you've been told it, which I no. I, I could tell you on air, but I'm not going to. But it was more jailhouse. <laughs> If I said to you more kind of jailhouse subjugation, would that would that click with a man of your vocabulary? That kind of yeah, I kind okay. of know where you're going with that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So 
the, that, the rumors got you know what Chinese whispers can be like. That's how far the rumors yeah, went. Yeah, yeah. I've got to be careful as well because Frank Warren's never shy of wanting to sue me every few years. I must be about right. I must be about ready for another one soon. But um, but no, Tyson did attack him. He lost it, and it was over that kind of dispute. I like you said about advances or misunderstandings over expenses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think um, that's what they. I think a lot of fighters don't realize when they are living that high life and they're, and they're up there and successful and they can have things like training expenses and other kind of mm-hmm. perks. They don't realize it won't last forever. I mean, I know George Hanson Jr., the Philadelphia guy, who's quite almost like the patron saint of boxing in, in the city of brotherly love. He always says to fighters, your first big purse, save it like you never got it. Never mind fur coats and luxury cars and, and all the rest of it. Just save it like you never got it, you know? Well, the, the thing is, that's one of the hardest things to do as a boxer is to be conservative with your money. It, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't come into your... As soon as money touches you, it's going out. It's going out somewhere, and it always is because you've never had it before. And there's nobody in your family generally that has had it before that will teach you how to... like. Managing your money, you have to be a professional to do that. You have to have had experience. You've had to have the money before. It doesn't matter whether they're fighters, whether they're whatever line of business they're in, a family will lose their money first before they then come back and are able to earn it. And that's the same thing with professional athletes of every stripe. It doesn't matter black, white, Asian, whatever it is. If they came from a place of hardship and they don't have anyone educated in money around them, that you, you'll just by natural by nature you'll spend it because one you have family and they have even less than you do, and yeah. you're always giving. You're you're giving. You're giving, and there's friends and you're. They talk about hangers on. That that doesn't really. I don't know. I don't know how much that really does it um, in terms of taking like the big chunks of of an of a, an athlete's earnings, but it's just. Your own nature, you have to go through that. You have to lose the money in order to understand the worth of it, and then you're going to keep it. That's what Donnie Lalonde said. You know, that, um, he he was speaking about his purse of Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, about $5 million, I believe, 1988. Oh, wow. He said that he had um, an investor guy who said, Listen, Donnie, just listen to me. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Even if you do nothing, you know, mm-hmm. with this, with what I'm going to do for you and what I'm going to uh, invest in. Even if you do nothing, you you know you, you you'll make money. And Donny Lalonde's whole thing was, well, I'm 29, I'm not going to do nothing, and, and you know there's things I want to do. And also, I think it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that recently lost all his money due to bad advice or whatever. Something was pretty shocking that he'd lost multi millions mm-hmm. and ended up to coach basketball in high school again just to just yeah. to get by. Yeah. And, and Donny was his whole thing was he was so paranoid about that kind of scenario that he said. If anybody's going to lose my money, it'll be me. And then he went yes. on to say, "And I did it." You know, I yes. did it. You know, and, uh, yeah. what was your what was your biggest purse? My biggest purse, I think, was like two hundred and twenty-five, something like that. And and I got I got taken to the cleaners too on a number of things. Um, you know, there are people, managers that were there for my best interests, supposedly, and you know, they they ultimately weren't, and um, and, and that kind of hurts, like as a fighter, because you 
you really do everything you can to prepare for this fight. And and listen, I, I guess basically I'm trying to be careful because I don't want to, you know, again, I don't want to get uh, any lawsuits either. I'm not up for that. <laughs> I'm not up for that. But no, but just keep peaceful. Oh, I, I just tend to think that as a fighter, you earn your money. Uh, it's it's like Ben. I'm just like I'm lost for words right now. That you caught me out of the blue because I I, I was thinking a certain way and I'm trying to like uh, monitor myself and not yes. So I yeah. But so please, what you were gonna say? So well, the the essential bullet point is that you can confirm how difficult it is and how many pitfalls there are because yeah. of the reason you said because you're not used to money and almost it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense with a fighter's mindset and his story and where he's come from to suddenly be conservative and frugal and prudent with money yeah. and, and and also you confirm the long-held suspicion um to the point of a cliche that there mm -hmm. are people that will exploit you and and and, and, and yeah. make sure money flows away from you yeah. and not even just promoters i mean people you love are right there along with it. Uh, you know, money innately changes everything um, because because money is energy, and and it gives you money gives you the energy to do anything throughout the world, right? So that's what we all need. We all need that influx of energy, and once it starts coming in, um, yeah, I kind of look at it as like sometimes even even your blood, your family members, it's like they will sacrifice you for the money i look at it like the animal kingdom like if a polar bear has not caught a seal and the polar bear has like two three cubs and the polar bear hasn't eight, hasn't been able to catch a seal for i don't know two three four five months they get hungry what do they do they eat their infants you know what i mean that's the only way they can survive yeah. they're like uh uh they're going to die anyway. So, I mean, I think their rationale is so I may as well eat them. I'll live again and I'll be able to give birth to some more kids um, or offspring. That's the same thing, I think, when people start, when you have family involved in business and it gets to that thing. It's like the money actually means more than the blood. And especially in boxing, it's that way. Well, uh, we, we had Mike Ayala on a few weeks ago and, and I'm pretty sure he would have recounted the story. Um, of getting winded up with 500 bucks for his fight with Danny Little Red Lopez. He said that's what his dad gave him from 30 yeah. grand. Yeah. 30 wow. grand or 35 grand. Wow. He said that told him was left and um, yeah. the training expenses and this and that. And his cut, he got, I think, yeah, I think he got 12. I think he says he got his 12,000 because that was his 33%, right? And yeah. There's only $500 left for Mike, which is, wow. I mean, that, that, that illustrates that whole point about family and money and. Yeah. A lot of thicker than water, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, um, yeah, been there. I have to say, been there. Um, I heard from Jamil, who was supposed to be with us today, and unfortunately, um, his, sorry, I believe his father-in-law had taken a bad fall, and he had to take him to the hospital. So, oh, good. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that, uh, Jamil. Um, he wants our forgiveness. He's got it. <laughs> no problem. That's a pretty good excuse because most fighters have much lamer excuses than that. It's usually like they, they just they couldn't remember where the computer was. They just forgot the that. That you know why any fighter that says I forgot, I respect one hundred percent, and I understand <laughs> because you just yeah. like I don't know it's the, those kinds of um, 
receptors have been dulled over the time, the thuds upside the head and everything. Yeah. Um, Jamil, to me, never seemed to have taken, taken a lot of punches. It, it's very interesting. It's, it's, and he speaks very clearly when you speak to him. Like I was speaking to him yesterday. He's extremely clear. And another one who's extremely clear in, in, in his conversation, especially given all the fights he had, but he was a little bit more tricky, it was Chris Bird. Um, defensively, he was very sound. And I will tell you that he is actually going coming back for a, for a fight, a real legitimate professional fight. Yeah. And what weight is it at? Middleweight. Which is which is crazy, isn't it? But he did say it's insane. He did announce a little while ago. I think it yeah. might be before the pandemic. Um, yeah, that he was looking to come back at one sixty or one sixty. And um, it's it's an eye opener that somebody could would be able to do that. Um, we know that he was not really a heavyweight, and that he you know he'd gone yeah. up to the division because that's where the money is, as it, as it were. You know, to quote the old Willie Sutton mm-hmm. line about the banks, but um. But the fact that he can do it at that advanced age is, is quite remarkable, isn't it? Is that do you know? Is I mean, we can ask him this when we speak to him. But is there some kind of dietary thing behind it, like veganism or something like that? Oh. Uh, he did say he was on a specific type of diet, but it didn't seem like it was a meatless diet to me. No. Okay. Yeah, we we didn't really elaborate on it. We we're just you, all over the place. What are you weighing these days? I weigh, I believe, one sixty-eight. So God, God damn, you haven't hardly put on nothing, really. I mean, you for you a former middleweight to be weighing one six eight—that's fantastic, really, isn't it? I mean, you you watch it carefully, or you just—that's just the way you are. I, I think that's just the way I am. But I, I have been—I was more like one sixty, and then COVID happened, and I gained that extra like eight nine. Really, so we're holding yeah. middleweight forever up, up until like couple of years ago. But but I think uh, yeah it's it it was definitely um, I'm very active I'm very physically active when I teach I teach I sweat I I'm in there with the people you know yeah. jumping rope and still doing that full blast hitting the bags or hitting them you know what I mean whatever it is I'm I'm sweating with my clients so I think um, that that engine is really sort of like really tight tightly wrapped and so. It's very easy for me to burn, even if I'm doing nothing. Uh, I'm I'm burning, so I I tend to go skinny. Now the thing is, now that I'm older, what can happen is it happens a lot faster, and that's the thing about you know, it it it, it just happens so fast. Like I can take a week off before I would take a week off, and I still be defined all the rest of that. Now I take a week off, and I don't exercise or hit the gym, and I see just like muscle starting to move the wrong right. way, like turning yeah. into that a little extra you know the muffin top around a belt kind of thing yeah yeah i was going on vacation with my with my wife and i used to have these great pants um uh, they were like real nice designer pair and i used to wear them in the 80s and i still wear i can still get into most of my 80s stuff yeah and, um and so i was telling her like i i know i'm getting fat she's like you're not, and it's like the reversal of the norm, right? Usually, it's the woman telling the man, "I'm like, you know, I'm getting big, da da da." And I'm yeah. picking up the luggage, and we're about to leave to the plane. And I bend down to pick up the luggage, and my pants tear, in yeah. right, right up the butt, right all the way up the back, like this. I was like, "Didn't I tell you?" I just. Well, told <laughs> I think well, fighters, I think probably are quite vain. Um, generally more more perhaps than the average breed of man although these days you've got more of a metrosexual kind of man around yeah. it 
in the West. Hey, hey, hey. Is that a backhanded non-compliment, right? Uh, no, no, not really, because to be honest, I'm the same. I've always been pretty. If I've worked on one thing in recovery, you know, it's 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 to reduce the self-obsession and the ego, because mine was pretty bent out of control yeah. for a long mm-hmm. time. Even in early recovery, remember when I was doing all those spray tan pictures and shirtless pictures and stuff, and, and, and doing all that kind of ex- exhibitionism. So yeah. when you are like that. And you're always looking at yourself in the mirror and you know and tensing your stomach to see if you can see abs in a certain light, all the rest of it. I think women do find it kind of um almost vaguely comical. And they uh, but the yeah. thing is they never pick up on things like that, like you said about your wife. Yeah, they would always say, No, you're not, don't be stupid. And there's yeah, no yeah. talking to her because they don't get it. You know what I mean? They don't they don't notice those kind of changes. <laughs> no, they don't, they don't. But I did. I mean, my parents, Vivian Westwood, they were such beautiful design with these nice buckles and everything. Torn right up. I- hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I could never wear them again. I was just, I was, uh, you know, you know Vivian Westwood, yes? You, of course you, I Because she was. Friends. You know what? I mean, we're going very, we're really going off on a tangent this week. Um, so without her, the, the punk revolution may not have happened. Like there you the, go. Yeah. And wow. the sex was okay. happened. Yeah. And somebody summed it up recently because there's been a bit of a resurgence of interest when that series Pistol came out on um, whatever the channel was, FX, I believe. Uh-huh. And she was saying, I don't even know if punk wouldn't have happened without Vivian, but it definitely wouldn't have looked like that. You know, yeah. um, so Vivian Westwood yeah. is an iconic um, fashion yes, designer. And um, yeah. and I suppose, in a way, what you've given us tonight is um, one of the saddest kind of post-career stories ever. You know, we've heard about people winding up, you know, homeless in hard times, broke. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say blind, but I don't want to say that either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but has anybody torn some Vivian Westwood trousers, you know, quite so <laughs> It doesn't get any sadder than that, Michael. It's, no. When you let yourself go. <laughs> you, you know, Vivian Westwood is expensive. Back then in those days, like, there was this store, 57th Street, Charavari, and, and they had they carried all the designer stuff, and that's where you had to be, you know, and, and they were collectors. I was one day hoping to pass it down to my sons, but Guess that's not going to happen now. It not that they want them. Unless um, Vivian Westwood is still alive, right? I believe so. Yeah. I wonder if she could do repairs, and maybe I'll get in touch. And I mean, I've got I've got yeah. a few rock contacts from back in the day. Okay, so oh, maybe did? maybe I can swing. Yeah, I, I, one of my good friends was in a was in a band that was um that that was kind of seen as a legendary from that scene uh-huh. because they were only 15 and 16 yeah. they were still at a comprehensive school when they became famous like mm-hmm. enemy melody maker famous and doing yeah. gigs hanging out being linked with the sex pistols and a clash and all the rest of it um but his claim to fame well, it's not his claim to fame but one of the things he often talks about is john lyden squirted a bottle of uh squirted urine at him one night from a bottle of fairy liquid the washing up liquid and mm-hmm. it was a, it was retribution because he was having some kind of tryst with john john lyden's eventual wife i think it was just his girlfriend at the time yeah yeah tells that story you know um but he he yeah he knew them all you know including the whole vicious thing and all the rest of it um <laughs> so 
yeah, I, I think uh, it's, it's something that is that something you were ever because New York had a, was big in that scene as well. You know, the whole New York yeah, punk. Yeah, the punk scene. Uh, um, I remember I used to dress at this place. Um, there's another place called Trash and Vaudeville, and they were big. I didn't in know that. I got I got that Freddy Krueger style top from there. Oh, you do. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was a big clothing hound. I, I Saint Mark's Saint Mark's Place. Saint Mark's Place, exactly. Yes. Remember, there was a place called Religious Sex opposite the road as well. Yes. Uh -huh. yeah. Religious Sex and Trash Affordable. <laughs> Michael, what are we are we doing a boxing show? Or have we lost the plot? I think I think we lost it. <laughs> I think I think we we probably lost everyone too. They're like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's funny. We got five minutes. Steer it yeah. back to okay. So, I, I we, we brought up a few like dream fights last week, and I wanted to ask you again. I mean, we got a lot of we got a lot of feedback on the uh on the Tony Hagler fight, which I thought was really really interesting. Um, there were some people that saw James' qualities and interests and abilities, and and, and they were like, Yeah, I see him winning that fight. The, the great majority of people tended to be like, I don't think James Tony could win because he's undisciplined. Was yeah. basically what everyone was saying. But we're talking about one super fight. Best night. You're talking about his best night, the most inspired exactly. he's ever. Both of them, their best one okay. night, one night were the best. I agree with the people who fancied Hagler because I do think Hagler's work rate and versatility <laughs> um, would have been a factor. And the fact that okay. Hagler. Now, hold Hagler, on to that point. That's, that's Hagler was able to box him kind of not exactly like Roy Jones did, but he was able, he had that, he had that option. He would have had that option to circle and move around James if he'd have felt like it. I, I don't know if that's Hagler's strongest point. Um, you know, generally it's the fact when he goes like straight at an individual and tests their endurance, tests their metal, tests their chin, tests their you brain. The way he fought one roll down of Tony Simpson, Benny Briscoe, yeah. Hagler was circling. Most of the time, until he decided, yeah, to, to turn the screw on those guys. Yeah, 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 exactly. So he was able to do that with James. I, I'm not exactly sure he would be able. See, one of the most beautiful things about James Tony, his style, and Roberto Duran, and there are certain other fighters that are able to do it. They, when you punch, they know there's an opening. And that's a whole different level type fighter. Like every time I throw that left hand, I throw that left hand out. Yes, it's offense. You got to worry about it because you may get hit. But they don't look at it that way. They look at it as, okay, now this is open right here under the ribs. This is open if I slip and come back with a hook. Yeah. This is open. Like he's committed to the punch. He's not in defensive mode, so he can't block anything. He can block. If he's in defensive mode, he can block anything I'm doing. But if he's punching it, please, James Tony's like, please just punch at me. Because if you punch at me, you're open. I have the skills to be able to make you pay. And 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 James is, you know, he hits hard enough to make an individual realize they're in the, you know, he'll get respect out of anybody. Um, you know what's always interesting to me? I always, and I, I should have asked him, I, him and... James Tony and Tommy Hearns are probably doing things at the same time. I wonder if I wonder if JT ever moved with Hearns. That would be interesting. That would be a fascinating, inspiring session to see if they ever did. Um, really I they didn't. My gut feeling is they didn't. I never got wind of it, but you never know. Um, I think it's um, 
We know we got her and Spar with McCallum, like a lot. Um, yeah. Trying to figure who else Tommy sparred with, you know, over the years. Because yeah. I mean, Tommy sparred with a lot of Kong fighters as well because they had them, you know. I mean, I know yeah. Tommy sparred with Milton McCrory a lot. He sparred yeah. with, he sparred with, uh, he sparred with Mark Breland a lot, didn't he? Even when Breland was still an amateur, you know. And yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes other fighters, there'll be other sparring sessions at the Kronk, you know, that uh, from fighters who weren't Kronk fighters like mm-hmm. Camacho and Penel Whitaker sparred when Whitaker was still an amateur. Yes. Camacho. Aspired just before the Olympics, I believe. And Manny Stewart always says Whitaker gave uh, Camacho a terrible beating, is the way he said that. And <laughs> Whitaker gave Camacho a terrible beating in eight. Well, I was speaking to Sugar Ray Leonard's brother, and he told me that Hector and he sparred, Hector and Sugar Ray sparred, and Hector gave a terrible beating to Sugar Ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? I, I could never conceive that. I, I was like, and this is before their obviously long time before their fight. Yeah. Um, years beforehand. So things weren't as bad for Ray as they were at that point. But um Camacho had that number, I guess. I don't, if they'd have met anywhere near their prize, Ray would have wasted him. I mean, I, I know Camacho's right up and never stopped. When I say wasted him. Ray would have been too much for Hector when, when he was when he was Ray for sure. That, that, that's that's what I would think, but uh, the fact, like, I remember the rumors that they always used to say Ray couldn't fight a southpaw. And um, this is about the time when he fought Kalule. I remember, yeah. like, uh, around that time, somewhere in there, they were telling it, they were, everyone was saying he can't fight southpaws. And I didn't know if that, uh, it wasn't from anything he had actually fought live. So maybe it was something like a pre existing condition, uh, like that was seen in sparring, for instance. He he um he got hit a lot against Kaluli, I thought. I mean it was still an impressive performance. But he yes. did get hit a lot, didn't he, Michael? And um he fought Larry Bonds, uh, who was who was a Southpaw, um, yeah. the garbage man from Denver. And um yeah. he, he he didn't hit Ray a whole lot, but he was obviously this is also about levels as we spoke yeah. about in previous yes. weeks. Um I think we're coming to a close now. We still have action. Um I've got a surprise for you. I'm not gonna say what it is yet. But I've got a surprise for you um, next Sunday. For, you know, next Sunday, if Chris Berg comes on, that's cool. But I'll have another guest next Sunday. But uh-huh. he'll actually be with me in the frame. We won't need to get him on Zoom because he'll be where I am. Oh, right? really? But, um, <laughs> yeah. I'll, hey. I'll, probably, I'll probably tell you when, I'm off, when we're off camera. But um, Okay, I'm looking forward to this. I love surprise. Okay, so hang on. Just wait. Hold that line. I'm going to close this show, and then I will tell you uh, who the guest will be and why. Okay. In the meantime, thanks for listening to our relatively random ramblings this week. We brought you the world of punk rock, fashion, St. Mark's Place in Manhattan, and also all the latest boxing talk and whatever else occurs to us on a whim. Um, we're brought to you exclusively by Ace Podcast Nation. You can join and become a member via Patreon. Tune in next week to episode 10 of Sugar and Silk with another fantastic guest. In the meantime, be lucky. Keep punching. Yeah. Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.